0: I had a 16 there. and Welcome to another episode of On the Job with PORAC. I'm Brian Marvel, President of PORAC. With me as always is PORAC Vice President Damon Kurtz. Today we're back on Zoom and hosting California Congressman Jimmy Panetta. Congressman Panetta currently serves California's 20th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. His district includes Monterey and San Benito counties and parts of Santa Cruz and Santa Clara counties. First elected in 2016, he's serving his third term in Congress. He currently serves on the House Committee on Ways and Means, the House Committee on Agriculture, and the House Committee on Armed Services. Congressman, it's an honor to have you today. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Brian, I appreciate the introduction and good to see Damon as well. And. Uh, Uh, It's good to be with PORAC. PORAC's not only helped, uh, been a supporter, uh, since my time in Congress, but obviously as a a prosecutor uh, in my time up in Alameda County for 13 years and then down here in Monterey County for another six years. So uh, good to be with you and look forward to having a good conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What are some of your priorities for this session of Congress that uh, that you would like to see uh, get signed by the president?
1: Yeah, no, well, <laughs> it's going to take a lot longer than the time we have here see what I'd like to do. But look, I I think uh, uh, you got to tie in where I come from. I come from the Central Coast of California. Uh, I grew up here. I was educated here. I worked here, and now I have the fortunate opportunity to represent here on the Central Coast. And what you realize, if you've ever been here, you know we got a lot of bounty, we got a lot of beauty, and we got a lot of bases. And so my agenda is all focused on making sure that are the people here are served and our values are fought for back in Washington, DC. So obviously when it comes to our bounty, it's making sure that our agriculture has the, enough support as possible. And that's not just with the product, it's with the people. And what I mean by that is, as you know, we're not like the crops out there for the most part in the Central Valley or the center of America. We got a lot of specialty crops here. And unfortunately mechanization hasn't caught up with harvesting these types of crops. So what's it take? It takes people and it takes protecting our farm workers that are here and therefore immigration reform has and always will be, continue to be my biggest priority. Um, that's why I'm proud to say that we passed the Farm Workforce Modernization Act out of last year and last term and then this term out of Congress, and hopefully the Senate actually steps up and does the right thing when it comes to protecting our farm workers, protecting our workforce, and providing them not just with leg- legality, but with dignity that they deserve. And then also, also when it comes to our specialty crops, we've got to have research. So basically making sure that we have the funding available for the research that's necessary to protect our specialty and our delicate crops that we have here on the Central Coast. Look, obviously, when it comes to our beauty, it's making sure that our environment is protected. I'm lucky to come from an area that has a lot of people in front of me who did a hell of a lot of good things to protect what we have here when it comes to our coastline. And it's making sure that we uphold that, protect that. And obviously, with pivoting into the infrastructure bill, making sure there's ways that we can decarbonize as best as we can with incentives, tax incentives, decarbonize our energy sector, decarbonize our transportation sector as best as we can. And then, of course, being on armed services is making sure that our military bases here on the Central Coast uh, have the support necessary. Uh, We have pretty unique bases around here. It's not necessarily about playing tanks and guns, but our bases focus on leadership. They focus on languages. They focus on climate change. Um, And so it's basically the soft people skills that are important. It's making sure that they're protected as well. Our military bases provide 1.5 billion to our economy and 15,000 jobs. And so it's important that uh, uh, they remain here and they have the support necessary to not just be a part of our national security, but be a part of our community. So like I said, bounty, beauty, bases, uh, and the people here on the Central Coast look forward to continuing to work with Joe Biden President Biden as best as I can, especially with this upcoming infrastructure package and being a member of the Ways and Means Committee. uh obviously, obviously, uh, we play a big role in that not just what's in it but how we pay for it and so those are the two big questions that we got coming up here in these next couple months in june and july and basically formulating that bill that that is not just about basic infrastructure but about infrastructure of the family and what they need to continue to be a part of our communities and part of our country so uh, a lot of work we have been doing in these last four or five months in congress kind of been a whirlwind uh, but gearing up for another couple of busy months in june and july to make sure that we put forward, formulate, pay for an infrastructure package that benefits everybody here uh, on the Central Coast and throughout our country. So a lot to do.
0: With that said, um, it's our understanding you're going to reintroduce the uh, uh, Victim Witness Protection Act. Yeah. Um, When do you plan on doing that? And, uh, you know, we're obviously uh, we're supporters of that and we look forward to, uh, to signing on with you with that bill.
1: I appreciate that and Borak has been great on that. And I really appreciate it. Not just in saying, yeah, we're for that bill, but we relied on Borak in regards to getting the information necessary to have the support to author and introduce that bill. So I really appreciate the work that you've done, uh, not just with introducing it last Congress, but before that and actually drawing it up and putting it together. So I really appreciate that. And obviously that's a bill that deals with U visas, U T visas, but obviously as a former prosecutor, especially here in Monterey County, You rely on U-Visas, and I I believe you use them for twofold, basically, as many of your listeners know, um, but just in case they don't, U-Visas are about providing a legalization for those victims or witnesses to crimes that actually cooperate with law enforcement and so basically we use it to make sure that people can stay here and be a part of our criminal justice system but to be honest with you and what i saw to be honest with you with the victims that actually benefited from this it really gives them an understanding of what our criminal justice system is about and it kind of gives them a little bit of skin in the game realizing that hey i can play a part of this i can make this person take responsibility for the crime he did if i just kind of step up and do my part as a witness uh, and come in and cooperate with the police and actually testify. And so it's, it, it works for both people. It works for us in the criminal justice system. It works for them in being undocumented and being having a way to stay here. And it also works for our country and community It basically kind of building that sense of what it takes to be a part of, our, of the United States of America. And that's participation, be it unfortunately as a victim, unfortunately sometimes as a witness, but also as an American and part of our criminal justice system. And so it incentivizes that and gets them to realize of kind of the basics of what America is about, and that's participation.
2: I think it's really important that you're tackling some of these issues, particularly with immigration. So often in law enforcement, we're kind of used politically to, in a way, In a negative light, and what I'm trying to say is often they were depicted as we're actually out there enforcing immigration laws, and we don't do that. And what that does, it really hinders our ability to investigate crimes and protect those people who are vulnerable to to society and some of those, you know, the the culprits, if we will. And they don't come forward because they're afraid we're going to enforce some sort of immigration. That's not our role. And I think it should be the the goal of the government to get something that, that makes sense that is, is fair and, and allows folks to stay here or here for the right reasons. And so I commend you on that. You
1: no, know, that's right. And I appreciate you making that statement and it's true. Um, it, it's unfortunate that we had to deal with a lot of rec- rhetoric and uh, some pretty inhumane policies in the last couple of years that actually created a lot of fear in uh, many communities, especially communities here on the Central Coast, large Latino-based communities, that uh, obviously, you know, they looked at and they kind of grouped everybody together, as you're saying, unfortunately, and they were afraid to come forward, afraid to uh, avail themselves of the benefits of our government and of our criminal justice system, unfortunately, uh, and therefore that, that that that's why these U visas are so important, and unfortunately, there's a cap on these U visas so there's only an approval of 10,000 a year across the country and that's it so once that 10,000 cap is met, once they've approved 10,000 they don't the DOJ doesn't do any more work on them they just stop and there's a backlog of close to 150,000 of these U visas already and so my bill takes the cap on it off it and so uh, it's important not just for like I said the victims it's important to like I said create that trust in our system our trust in the police uh, which is so important nowadays.
0: Well, you bring up a really good subject, and and we've talked about it uh, with several of the the federal elected folks. And even here our our statewide elected folks is, is you know how do we bridge this divide that we have in our political discourse right now? You know, because you know the perception and and some of the conversations that Damon and I have is is that there's just this bitter fight between Democrats and Republicans, and there's there's like no middle ground. And this is obviously just perceptions and, and feelings that people have. But how do we overcome that? How do we come together as a nation? How do we come together as a people of one country and try to focus on the issues that are important to all of us that, that we're all concerned about? Because like your bill, the victim witness, that's for everybody. Nobody wants to be a victim of crime. It's tough to be a witness. We don't get them to come forward. But we really look towards our elected leaders to be like, hey, we're going to really work together. And the example I use is, is Tip O'Neill. You know, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. Diametrically opposed philosophically on a lot of issues. But, you know, at the end of the day, those two were talking to each other. And believe it or not, they were getting a lot of work done. I'm just, from your perspective, and, and what are your thoughts and ideas on, on what we could do to maybe bring people together?
1: Yeah, look, I, you know, obviously at the congressional level, you know, as well as I do, and most people listening to this, um, bipartisanship isn't sexy, okay? It doesn't make the headlines. It doesn't get you on TV. It doesn't get you tweets. It doesn't get your Facebook friends or likes on social media. Trust me, I know, okay? But you know what? I've always learned the system that that's kind of how it works. And look, we have our extremes on both sides of the aisle, on the left and the right, and yes, in Congress. And trust me, that's those are the people turn on the news, and that's what you see. Unfortunately, they don't see the fact that you have members like myself who basically have to work hard to be bipartisan. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I like I said, I come from a pretty blue, blue district, all right, um, and so I don't have to be bipartisan. But I tell you, you know, and I could just vote the party line to be frank, but that's not how I believe things get done in Washington DC. That's not how I learned it. That's not how I see it right now. And so people, getting back to my original point, people don't understand the bipartisanship that does take place because they don't hear about it. They don't read about it, but I can attest to it. It happens. And I say that because I'm on several bipartisan caucuses from the Problem Solvers Group, Uh, the bipartisan working group that meets every week, every Tuesday morning, as well as a four-country caucus. The Problem Solvers is a group of about 30 Democrats, 30 Republicans, get together every week, talk about issues, talk about finding our similarities rather than the differences that we have, and trying to work together on major bills, infrastructure, immigration, police reform, and so forth, and get behind those bills as well. Bipartisan Working Group comes together every week and just kind of talks about the issues of the week. Uh, It's about eight and eight. Come together and talk about the issues. Four Country Caucus is a group of those who served in the military and our veterans that are now serving in Congress. About 15 Democrats, 15 Republicans come together about every other week and talk about how we can continue to help our veterans and our service members and their families in legislation we can come by and support. You don't hear about the work we do on my on our committees. I mean, on the Ag Committee, very bipartisan committee. On the Armed Services Committee, very bipartisan committee. We passed a big bill out of out of the Ways and Means. Uh, when it comes to retirement two weeks ago, and it was a very bipartisan bill. You don't hear about that. It's not sexy enough, unfortunately. Uh, But you also don't hear about not just the professional stuff, but the personal stuff. Some of my best friends are on the other side of the aisle. I have best friends on the Democratic side. I have best friends on the Republican side, and and we get together and we not only have dinner together. I, I live with Democrats and Republicans. I work out with Democrats and Republicans. I play with congressional baseball. Obviously, it's Democrats versus Republicans, but we all get along. We have a football team, a congressional football team. If you can imagine that, let me tell you, it's not pretty. And we actually play the Capitol police officers. Uh, and, and let me tell you, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, and we put certain rules that. They have to be uh, older than 35 to play, thank goodness. Uh, but you have a bunch of Democrat and Republican members playing against them. And we come together. And basically, I'm telling you, that's how I developed a lot of my friendships. So you don't hear a lot about the bipartisanship that's going on. And I can tell you it's going on. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a binary system. And, we have, and sometimes you got to be partisan. You get it. But let me tell you, that's not all we do. We are there to find our similarities and work together, at least with members like me. And that's kind of why you know, that's why on this, uh, there's a new Luger score that came out from the Georgetown University Center uh, that listed me as the 28th ranked member of Congress in bipartisanship, uh, number one in California. Um, and I'm pretty proud of that, because it shows, you know, and I'm not just talking about bipartisanship, this shows that I actually do bipartisanship and my legislation and my caucuses and my work. And to me, that's what it's about. And we have to continue to do that. But I got to tell you, it's not easy. Like I said, it could be, well, somebody told me early on, they said, you know what, Jimmy, it's easy to be an average Congress member. And I said, what the hell do you mean by that? He said, look, he said, you can you know do your casework at home, get reelected, come back here, vote the party line and just kind of float through. I, I was dumbfounded when he said that. So I went home and I talked to my father who served in this position, as many of you know, for about 16 years. And I said, dad, someone said it's easy to be an average Congress member. And He looked at me and he started laughing. And he said, he said, of course it is. And, and I kind of looked at him you know, with a strange look and he saw the look on my face. and He said, he said something that I'll never forget. And he said, but you know what? And this is how my dad talks. so I'm sorry. You might have to bleep me. But he said, you know what? It's fun when you get shit done. And it is fun when you get stuff done. And we are getting stuff done. And I do believe that big way that we can get stuff done is we do it in a bipartisan manner. And that's why I'm number 28, number one in California. That's why I'm on these caucuses. That's why I make that extra effort. To be bipartisan, because I want to get stuff done for the people on the Central Coast of California. And I will work with anybody who does that. That's,
0: uh, that's great to hear. And obviously, the, the passion comes through with you on that. And, um, you know, I think that we consistently hear that from a lot of the elected folks. And obviously, we do a, uh, we do a fly in, uh, we had to do it virtually this year. So we're looking forward to getting back to DC and, and walking the halls and meeting with you Hopefully, uh, I'm not sure when the timeline on the fence is around the Capitol coming down, but we definitely want to get in and, and, and meet with your staff and, and meet with you and meet with all the elected officials because, you know, our, our big mantra is is that uh, we're not about making headlines. We're making about good policy. Uh, and we know the big topic of discussion at the Capitol is, is police reform. And, uh, you know, we've shared with you our positions and, and, and our feelings on that. And we appreciate all the support that you've given us uh, in regards to those types of discussions. So do you anticipate the fence coming down soon? What about the Capitol? Is it, do you think the Capitol will be opened up maybe by August
1: or sooner, hopefully? Yeah, the, the, the fence is down and the National Guard are going away. Um, and, and, and and that's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I look, I understood why the fence came up, especially after January 6th. I understood uh, why the National Guard came in, especially being there on the hill on January 6th. But it wasn't what our, capital our cathedral of democracy should stand for to be honest with you we shouldn't have that symbolism behind the people's house everybody should have cap should have access uh, obviously authorized uh, access to the united states Capitol. and uh you know having the fence around it was unfortunate I, i'll be the first to say that and i didn't like that at all just because it wasn't how I've known the Capitol would be, not not in this time as a member, but uh, growing up as a kid and visiting Washington, D.C. It's just not what the United States Capitol should be about. And so I'm glad that it's down. I'm glad the National Guard is leaving. And I'm glad that we continue to give support to our U.S. Capitol Police. And that's the most important thing right now we can do to make sure that they're there to do their job and they have the resources necessary to do their job rather than a fence focus on the police and their abilities to do their job. And I think that's what we're getting to, especially uh, with the passage, hopefully, of a commission to, to review um, January 6th and to ensure that basically, you know, kind of do that after action report that everybody, everybody does when something goes wrong or something goes right. You should always have the ability to sit down and kind of review what the hell happened here. How can we get better? How can we capitalize on what we did well? And so hopefully that happens. If not, um, I, I do believe that the Capitol Police will continue to have the support of members of Congress as well.
2: What about with the uh, pandemic uh, easing restrictions? Do you think that you guys will open up for in-person meetings?
1: Yeah, I, I, I do. I think it's getting there. It's getting real close, man. And trust me, I can't wait either. Because let me tell you, if a day like today, I'm sick and tired of Zoom calls. I think we all are. It drives us batty. I mean, I'm more exhausted after sitting on my butt doing Zoom calls than I am out and about in the district, which I'd rather be doing. Trust me on that. And that's how I feel in Washington, D.C. And let me tell you, a lot of other members do as well. I can't give you a specific date, man. Uh, Look, it's what, May 27th right now. I think it's going to happen probably, you're probably looking in July maybe is when I, I think we'll open up. But look, know that if people ever want to meet with me and you're out in Washington, D.C., give me a call, call my office, let me know, we'll come get you, we'll escort you in and I'd be happy to see you in person. I'm vaccinated. I hope other people get vaccinated uh, and I think uh, the numbers demonstrate why we should get vaccinated. I mean, California's number one in uh, low infection rate. Why? Because we're number one in high vaccination rates. So, let's hope that people start to look at those numbers and kind of make sense and get vaccinated so that we can get back open, not just in Washington DC, but throughout our country.
0: Excellent. And in regards to the support for the Capitol Police, we really appreciate that. Uh, We totally support an investigation of what happened on that date. And one of the things that we've really been advocating for is if this group comes together, that they try to get more rank and file members on board because you know, obviously, you know we watched it live and and it really felt like the rank and file members got hung out to dry on that. And it's very unfortunate because they were that front line. They were having to deal with those issues while the command staff was doing whatever. And it just is very unfortunate that those folks had to endure what they did on that day and not have the support and the necessary resources to help them. So uh, we, we strongly support and advocate for that. And uh, like I said, we, we really hope that They really pick rank and file people to advise or, you know, provide recommendations where they can versus just going to the management. Because if it's the management, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be the fault of the folks on the front line who literally have zero decision making on how they're going to respond to that type of stuff. So really appreciate the support on that.
1: I appreciate that input. That's really good input. And thank you for saying something and thank you for your support. Uh, of the commission and you explain exactly very simply uh, and well-articulated why uh, with uh, that commission so I, I appreciate that and um, and I think um, what you got to know is that you know we obviously you know in the cap- US Capitol Police will tell you they're there to protect us <laughs> to be frank and they do a hell of a job at it as they did on that day okay so that was their goal to protect the members of Congress and other members who were there in the Senate as well as the Vice President they did that that day, thank goodness, unfortunately at the sacrifice of, of lives. Uh, and that was unfortunate, but I, I can tell you, we all feel that they did their job and we're very proud of them. But obviously we wanna make sure that we provide them the resources to continue to get better and to learn uh, from what happened that day. Also on another note, you know, I, I said that we play football. Uh, we play football because we raise money for the Capitol Police Foundation. And last time we played, not last year because of the pandemic, but year before, we raised over 350000 for the wow. Capitol Police Foundation, which goes towards these families. And it was, uh, we had our kickoff to kind of get members of Congress out to be a part of it and police officers to be a part of it. And uh, the, the chief spoke and she said, unfortunately, this year, Uh, a lot of officers, a lot of families of officers have been relying on that fund and it's actually being drawn down significantly. So now's the best time to have that football game, to have that foundation so we can support that foundation. And I'd recommend other people supporting that foundation as well because those officers and their families need it the most right now.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. And what we'll do is, uh, if we can get a link from one of your staffers or something, we'll make sure to put it up when we post this uh, podcast. Because be we definitely want to get, uh, we want to draw attention to it and have people to uh, to contribute to it. Thank you, well, Congressman, I want to uh, thank you so much for coming on and and having a conversation with us. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank you for joining us on our latest episode of On the Job with Porak with California Congressman Jimmy Panetta. As always, we'd like to close this podcast by thanking all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. We hope you stay safe and have a great day. PORAC is California's largest law enforcement organization and the largest statewide association in the nation, representing over 77,000 public safety members since 1953. Our monthly podcasts, as well as past episodes, are available on PORAC.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, PORAC's YouTube channel, or where popular podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and tag us with your suggestions for future show topics. To learn more about our organization, visit us at PORAC. Porak.org. We are Porak.